The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. With questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's a podcast about how people connect with each other from the first impression to the messaging that finally wins people over. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit, and thanks for joining us. Our program is presented by Dating Kinky, and each week we bring you guests from all over the community to discuss how people approach each other. And this week, we hear from both sides of the pond with two generational views on polyamory and great perspectives from both. Dan and Dawn have been a lifestyle couple since 2001 and have presented at over 100 events around North America. Not only do they enjoy teaching workshops and classes, they also share via books, specialized events, and fun consent negotiation playing cards. Their books on power exchange, Living MS, a book for masters, slaves and their relationships, and polyamory, including the polyamory toolkit, are based on experience and have been very well received by those communities. They are the co-hosts of the Erotic Awakening Internet Radio Show, an educational podcast that explores all things erotic. They were the co-founders of the Columbus Space, an amazing alternative community center. They were the 2016 Mass International Members' Choice Presenter of the Year Award winners, as well as the Master and Slave title holders of the Great Lakes region in 2010. They are the creators of Scarlet Sanctuary and Path of Kadashti, Sacred Sexuality Spaces, featured educators on both Kink Academy and Creative Sexuality, and mentioned in a number of books, articles, and other media. We're also joined by Leanne Yao, who's based in the UK and is the creative mind behind the Polyphilia blog on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and WordPress. The posts are memes, tweets, and educational posts about polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, and personal growth in open relationships. In addition to running Polyphilia, she is also an audiobook narrator for polyamorous literature and has narrated three, soon to be four, titles on Audible, all about polyamory. So look up Lian Yao on Audible. Now let's join them all for a great conversation on ethical non-monogamy and polyamory. It's the first five. So I'll start this by saying hi, Dan, hi, Dawn, hi, Leanne, because I like to keep with tradition from the old Erotic Awakening podcast. First question in the first five is going to be for Leanne. First time you knew you were a little different. Uh, so that would be when I was 17. 
um, I was dating my first boyfriend at the time. Uh, we were in a monogamous relationship. And basically, I'd known from the beginning that um, he was bisexual. And uh, this this obviously wasn't an issue for me. But basically, later on in the relationship, he ended up cheating on me with a man. Mm. Um, and that was obviously very upsetting at the time. But then I remember when he told me, because he he fessed up. It wasn't like I found out he did come clean to me at, some, at one point. Um, he told me, and I wasn't mad about the fact that he'd slept with someone else. I was more mad about the fact that he hadn't talked to me about it, that, you know, he'd wanted to do this in the first place. Um, and I remember telling him, I said, you know, if you had just asked me, I would have said yes, and it would have been fine. And he looked at me like, you know, I just grown a mm. second head. Um, and like, that was the moment when I was like, oh, that's not a response that he was expecting because you know he, I, i'm pretty sure he didn't even realize that that was even an option that he could have taken uh so yeah that was when i realized that i didn't kind of see relationships the same way as everyone else second in the first five is for dan and don first time you ever heard the word polyamory and what you thought it was oh my i think the first time i heard the word polyamory would have been when we attended a call meeting, which was a church of all worlds. And um, we were looking for different spiritual paths and we were already living poly. We just hadn't heard of the word. And then once we heard of that word and it made such sense in that, that meeting, we started uh, looking around and some of the people that were at that meeting were also starting the um, uh, poly Columbus group. About 2002, I believe that was. Yeah. Leanne, first time you entered a non-monogamous relationship, and how did it feel? Um, I entered my first non-monogamous relationship when, uh, well, somewhere between 17 and 18. I think I was 17. Um, that was with my second partner, not the one who cheated on me. Uh, we started out because um, we were going long distance. And basically he was going to university and I was going to be on a different continent on a gap year. And so um, it kind of just made sense. It made logical sense at the time. And I kind of wanted him to enjoy like university life without, you know, being uh, kind of restricted by like what he could and couldn't do with other people. Um, it, it was great for me. It wasn't so great for him. I think like for me, I, I, I've always been a very compulsive person. And so, you know, when he was telling me about like, um, these girls he was meeting, uh, you know, like what wonderful times they'd had together. Like I was always like really encouraging, really supportive. And I never felt like it kind of threatened me um, in any way. And uh, which I know makes me like a very small minority of like the kind of ENM population. Uh, whereas for him, um, I think he struggled a lot more with it. Like when I started seeing other people. So um, yeah, but it was a good time. It was a good time for me. <laughs> Dan and Don, first time you received a an actual copy of one of your books and your reaction to holding it i uh remember the first one we got would have been a copy of living ms and sitting there in our living room and we were just kind of dumbstruck and, but the more memorable one was later that week uh we were in one of our kinky sh local kink shops uh, mm -hmm. shop called the, um, the chamber and up on their bookshelf, there was a copy of it. And that was the point where we went from going, Oh, I think we did a thing to, 
holy crap, did we do a thing? <laughs> now, if we ever see it in the library, that's going to be a different feeling altogether. <laughs> hey, it's in the leather archives library. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> Final first five question for all of you. First negative reaction you ever received for someone knowing that you're polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous? Um, should would you like to go first, Dandorn? Um, I can go first. I actually had a negative response from a friend of mine. So, and um, every time I was having jealousy issues, their response was, "Of course you are. Your husband's dating someone else." So that was the last vanilla friend I had mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> since then. And, and it's a shame. It really was because we had like a 10 year friendship. But um, yeah, so I, I surround myself with people that are aware and supportive and stuff now. And so, I Dan? haven't had one. Yeah. Not that's memorable, right? Not, not that that comes to mind at all. And that's probably why mine's memorable because yeah. it was a 10 year friendship. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that must have been really tough to lose that friendship after, you know, over such a fundamental kind of difference in yep, viewpoints. Yep. Oh, damn it, damn mm. it, I do have. You know what? I come back. I have to, I remember this one. I forgot all about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one of the kids. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so we're, we, we have adult children at this point. Uh, they're grown and we have a grandchild. And one of the, um, one, they, they, were super uncomfortable with the whole polyamory thing and used a completely unrelated issue to create a rift between us for uh, some time. Mm. Um, it wasn't until they realized it wasn't a phase and we weren't going to grow out of it, which is a, a hilarious thing for your kids to think, by the way, that <laughs> things fix oh, yeah. themselves up. Oh, yeah. And since mm. then, they've, done, they've uh, come to the housewarming that mm -hmm. we had when we when we moved in partners. with your partner and yeah so th they're fine now it was it was a, it was a moment but it was rough yeah i bet that's such a role reversal like for your kids to tell you that you're the one going through i phase. know i was like you can't <laughs> tell me what to do man <laughs> oh my goodness um i think the first time i had a negative response was well so uh for context like i'm i'm 22 like and i uh, properly kind of came out as polyamorous i guess when i was around um I want to say 18, 19. Um, and obviously, like in my friend group, like I generally surround myself with quite kind of, you know, open minded people. And so they're all kind of, you know, fine with it. Um, but I think it was probably my mom uh, when I uh, when I came out to her, because like when she found out that me and my partner were in an open relationship, like I think her first reaction was, well, I think I think it was very well intentioned. I think but ultimately she wanted to protect me. She didn't want me to be hurt. Um, and she, you know, was trying to convince me that like, uh, he didn't really love me because if he did love me, he wouldn't be looking at other women um, and saying a lot of kind of like, you know, you don't you don't know what it means to love someone if you're like happy with them, like seeing other people. Um, and I was just a bit like, no, <laughs> uh, that's absolutely not how I feel about this. But, you know, it's uh, it's been a journey um, kind of. I think these days, like, I think my mom just kind of keeps out of it. I, I She doesn't understand it and I don't know if she ever will, but we kind of made our peace with it and kind of agreed to disagree. Hello, I'm Jessie Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, 
anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. What is your fantasy? Do you have a secret? We all have sexual fantasies or secrets. That's what my show is all about. My name is Nikki, and I'm the host of In Bed with Nikki. In this show, it's all about sex and the fantasies that people have. Reading from my emails directly and anonymously sent to me, together we will explore the experiences of everyday people, just like yourself. Often, this is the very first time they've told anyone else about them. You can find In Bed with Nikki on Podchaser, Spotify, Apple iTunes, and anywhere else you find your other favorite podcasts. And remember, for every problem, there is a solution, and I happen to call it an orgasm. And until next time, enjoy. You are listening to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Here again, we say to our host, hi there, Catsuit. As some of our listeners are not well versed in either polyamory or ethical non-monogamy, can you all help us with some definitions? Dan and Don, can you give us the definition and the meaning of polyamory? Well, polyamory means many loves and basically that's what it is multiple loving relationships and the only word that we make a point to add in there is multiple loving ethical relationships true in that i have a girlfriend i have a boyfriend and they all and we know about each other right depending on your style of polyamory now styles of polyamory vary a lot so how much information you share with each other and whether you're sitting together and playing board games together that's dependent on the style of polyamory but we know about each other's existence nobody has to make up lies or uh anything to go spend time with the other partners um and it's really that simple right you could get more complicated than that but multiple loving ethical relationships boom just that simple Yep. And um, in addition to, so polyamory is um, under the larger umbrella of ethical non-monogamy. So ethical non-monogamy can encompass kind of just any kind of relationship style that involves kind of multiple sexual and all like romantic relations. So um, it could be swinging, it could be an open relationship. And of course, polyamory kind of falls under that umbrella. So all polyamory is ethical non-monogamy, but not all ethical non-monogamy is polyamory. Very good. As someone who grew up in the 60s and 70s, I would have never imagined the world as it is in 2011, where there, it's no longer just man, woman, couple. There are so many different parts in the rainbow or the tapestry or the atmosphere of the way people connect with each other. Was there a time where this was just all hidden and it didn't happen? Or has this always been happening, but the definitions have changed? Leanne, I'll let you start this one. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't know how to answer that, to be honest, because um, obviously I'm from a younger generation and, you know, uh, I guess my generation is, it tends to be more open-minded. I mean, obviously not everyone is going to be uh, non-monogamous, but I think people are at least open to the idea that it does work for other people, even if it doesn't for themselves. So generally I've had uh, quite like a positive experience among people my age, um, but I'd be interested to see what Dan and Dawn have to say about this. Yeah, I think that the polyamory has been around a long time, like you said, right? And the the earliest that I can re that I believe that it's popularly recorded is going to be back, like you said, '60s hippie time communes, right? Uh, it wasn't until later in the early '70s that the actual term polyamory was coined. Uh, and that was by a cat named Oberon Zell. To best oh, it was his. Yeah, it was his wife, Morning Glory Zell, in the Green Egg. It was a pagan magazine. Right, and so now the terminology has grown since then, and the understanding has really become something much more mm. prevalent in the last, I would say, uh, twenty years. That it's become a, a conversation. That there are books out there, occasional, rare. But, you know, 20 years ago, we still had uh, the occasional book out there. Prior to that, The Ethical Slut by Dossie Easton and Janet Harding was really mm -hmm. the first book that said you can do polyamory. I don't recall if it actually uses the word polyamory or not. I'm not sure. I'd have to reread but it. But it certainly it. did become, it certainly did explain the idea of ethical non-monogamy as something you could normalize, not something a little weird and out there. Other style of ethical non-monogamy, not polyamory based, but um my parents and and i am 55 so you can you can ex you can figure out how old my parents are <laughs> but my parents had female friends come by on occasion and i was like oh that's nice they have this nice female friend who spent the night isn't that for everyone mm. right so my parents i didn't know that they were swingers at the time it took until i had a little more um maturity under my belt to <laughs> go back in my memory and go wait a minute so oh my God. ethical non-monogamy has certainly been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, polyamory, I would say as a thing, to the best of our knowledge, more so that terminology and more beginning that, if you want to call it a movement, which I shy away from, but beginning in that 70s, 80s. Oh, yeah. So and and um, like I do like to mention Oberon Zell because he is still alive and he was one of the elders of the movement, air quotes. And I'm still on his Facebook and he's still a cool dude. And I've been, I've, I was able to play footsies with him under the table at uh, one of the times I met him. So, you know, just, just a really cool um, person. But yeah, I'm with Dan. Back in the seventies the and stuff, again, we, we would have been little back then. But um, if, if you look at some of the reading material, there were key parties, there were swinging parties, there were swap parties, you know, it was free love in the commune. So there was definitely that type of stuff going on, even if they didn't have the terminology for it. Is swinging actual polyamory or ethical non-monogamy, or is it more of the act of people saying that it's okay to have sex with other people? Because swinging is pure kind of recreational sex. Um, from, from what I understand, a, a lot of swingers will tell you that there's also progressive swinging which is um, the middle of swinging and polyamory. So they're still developing relationships. They're just more on a sexual nature. So I would still call it ethical non-monogamy. I wouldn't necessarily call it polyamorous. 
So I, I've had those conversations where they're like, polyamory, I don't know how you do that. And I'm like swinging. I don't know how you do that. I talk too much. <laughs> yeah, I would be agree in agreement with Dawn here. Like I wouldn't categorize it under polyamory. I'd categorize it under ethical non-monogamy um, just purely because of the more like the focus on sex, like rather than love, which I think is the main focus of polyamory, right? Multiple loves is kind of in the name. Um, but yeah, like I agree that there is kind of that in between, like, for, I mean, for myself, right? Like, uh, my partner and I do swing quite a lot, but then, oh, well, obviously not in the pandemic, but you know, normally. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we it's not just one night stands and sex parties, you know, we do develop like genuine kind of relationships with these people. Uh, whether they're kind of, you know, traditionally romantic in that sense is a different matter. A recurring theme on this show is the fact that I believe that there is no such thing as a finite amount of love in a person. And unfortunately, personally, this is affecting me quite a bit because uh, I was married to someone who believed total monogamy, totally you have to concentrate on me, I am the center of your world. And it even got in the way of, of having friends at times. Uh, she was a lovely woman, and I still love her to this day. We just don't see eye to eye. However, I still consider myself monogamous when it comes to relationships. It doesn't mean that I can't love quite a few people. I have my amazing relationship with the woman I call my queen, Lady Catalyst, and we call what we have simply love. There's no sex involved. We just genuinely love each other. So I'd like for you all to talk about the idea of infinite or finite amounts of love when it comes to polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. Um, I can jump in there because um, I hear a lot of people say that they are poly because not one person can fill, you know, all the holes and, you know, poly is to fill the holes of what's missing in a, in a single relationship and stuff like that. And for me, I haven't particularly understood that because Dan and I are like a 98% match. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if we wanted to be monogamous, which we don't and we aren't, but if we did, uh, there wouldn't really be a lot of holes or holes. The, the thing is, is that we have so much love because of our relationship that we have love to share. And just as individual human beings, we have love to share. And that's why we're poly. So probably the only hole I could think of is that my boyfriend does roller coasters. <laughs> and Dan, so that's about the only thing. But I could live without roller coasters or go by myself. Uh, so I, I can't live without sushi. So Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so we do. We have, you know, and I try to explain that to people is that we have extra love. And I don't even know extra is the right word, but yeah. um so for me the, the the very question itself, and don't take this personally, it's a bad question. Because I don't believe love is a finite or, mm. or infinite sort of view, but instead it's an and instead of an or, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I love Dawn greatly. I can love Phil greatly as well. And it took us a little while to get used to this understanding that that doesn't diminish the amount of love I have for Dawn. It is, I mean, if one of the, the classic uh, love parallels, right, is you say, well, you have two children, which one do you love more? Well, I don't love either one of my children more. They're both wonderful. All right, or now you have three. 
you only have 33% love for one. Mm -hmm. And now you have nine children. Well, now you've gone mad, but still (laughs) the idea that, so I guess I will back, I will reverse from saying it's a bad question and simply say, yeah, I, I do believe that love is infinite. I don't know what the limitation on it would be um time that's got limitations but i don't think love does yeah i would echo with what uh, both of you have said um i personally find it like problematic when people are like oh you know i'm polyamorous because like you know one person is enough i need like two three four whatever people to like meet my needs i don't see people as kind of needs meeting machines right i think each relationship kind of stands in its own right um and it's not like i'm trying to kind of have a patch like have multiple people kind of to create like a patchwork perfect partner right um that's kind of not my approach to things and you know i'm very similar to you guys like my partner and i we're very compatible if we wanted to be monogamous we absolutely could be um there isn't any flaw uh that i could that i personally see but then it's just kind of um i'm polyamorous because um you know i've always felt that and even I think most people, right, even if you're in a relationship, your attraction to other people doesn't cease. And, you know, you're like, it doesn't just magically disappear. You still notice other people who are attractive. You still have crushes on people. You just, you know, whether you act on it or not is your own personal decision. But then um, I guess my like my viewpoint has always been, why not just be authentic about that? Why not kind of instead of wondering what could have been kind of pursue those connections to their full potential? Uh, because if you do that, you know, your love for people uh, doesn't diminish the love you have with your existing partners, um, like the comparison you made about children and all. I think the only limit that you would have is kind of time, energy, um, and, you know, kind of real world, like practical things, um, and obviously meeting the needs of each of your partners, right, in terms of how much attention um, they need and that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, love is definitely infinite. Um, You know, attraction is, it's not kind of a you know, it's abundant. It's not kind of a scarcity mindset. And um, yeah, so that that's why that's why I'm polyamorous, because I want to be authentic uh, to, you know, about my attraction to other people and kind of not to be left wondering why. Uh, well, the other recurring theme that happens with us is the fact that I talk about the fact that sex is just one part of a day or a week or a month, as the case may be, what, uh, whatever part of life sex plays for you. And a lot of the vanilla world probably thinks polyamory is just about having sex with other people, but they couldn't be so so much farther from the truth, I would guess, because it is genuinely about love and that connection that comes between you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of like a, a lot of people kind of have this have this misconception, right? That um, you know, you uh, people who are polyamorous you know not good at commitment they have commitment issues they can't do it i would feel it's less of a fear of commitment to one but it's more of a love of commitment to many right because um showing up for someone in a relationship being committed to them it's not the same as monogamy and um it takes a lot of work relationships take a lot of work and most people can't even do that for one person (laughs) so and then on the the sex thing when um, people are like, oh my God, you, got, you must be having so much sex and it's all about sex. And I'm like, no, not so much. The calendar still gets in the way with two people or three people as with one <laughs> person. And um, the other thing we like to point out is, is, is my relationship with Dan or whatever partner no longer valid if physically we're not able to have sex anymore, which is going to happen as we get older and older and older, right? There's going to be a point where that very well could 
be a possibility. So does that mean my relationship's not valid? I mean, I'm still in love with him. So in that point, sex isn't the, the end all be all. Yeah, to Dawn's point, none of my relationships, including my relationship with Dawn, are sex-based. Or, or is sex even, uh, I don't wanna say it's not important, but it's not primary. Uh, and I've had multiple polyamorous relationships, full-born relationships of a polyamory style that did not involve sex. They involve intimacy because I'm an intimate person, but not sex. It's, 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 for me, at least in my relationships, it's optional. It's a fun option when it happens, but it doesn't have to happen. And there's situations where it's best that it doesn't. Yeah, there are plenty of asexual polyamorous people. I know, you know, uh, two myself um, in my own friendship circle. They definitely have the capacity to love many people, but sex is just not, you know, it's kind of extra for them, like you mm -hmm. said. As somebody who is not very familiar with polyamory other than what I hear from my friends and being a person who understands that even monogamous relationships take so much work. Is there that much more work to go into a polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous relationship? Does it take more effort? I think so. Um, I think you have to have a lot of important conversations at the beginning about um, kind of what what you need. Um, I think whenever you practice a kind of relationship style that is outside of the default, you can't make any assumptions anymore. In monogamy, you know, there is a playbook that you can follow. You know, there are like uh, kind of conventions that you can just kind of fall into, right? But then if you are pr uh, practicing any kind of uh, like alternative relationship, you really have to just design the rules for yourself, customize your relationships as you see fit. Um, and so I think, you know, the work that takes is, uh, you know, just having to talk about that. And, but then I think that people should do that in monogamous relationships as well. Um, but then that's just not what happens because people just make assumptions and just go along with uh, what, what the norm is. Um, and I also think that like, you know, practical like logistics, like scheduling, obviously, like between partners, um, you know, who's gonna be home, who's going out, who has to look like, and if you have kids, who's gonna look after the kids, that kind of thing, obviously like that takes work. Um, and any jealousy issues that come up as well, you'd have to talk about that. So yeah, I think a general polyamory does take a little bit more work than monogamy. I know for, for myself, in the healthiest monogamous relationships, if I have a, a spouse that says, or I say to a spouse, say, hey baby, when you um, do this thing, it makes me feel jealous. They'll go, oh, well, I'll stop doing that thing. Where in a polyamorous relationship for me, if I tell a partner, hey, baby, when you do this thing, that makes me feel jealous, they're going to turn to me and say, oh, uh, that's unfortunate that you feel jealous. How can I help you get over that mm. roadblock of yours, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, polyamory, when it, you know, all that stuff, I have to look at myself far. At, now, maybe I didn't have the most uh, successful monogamous relationships. Maybe normal monogamous people do this stuff, too. But in polyamorous relationships, it is essential to be able to look in the mirror and say, is that jealousy you're feeling, Dan? If so, that's your problem. Get a handle on it. Go do something about it. Feeling a little envy? What are you going to do to counter that envy? You know, uh, So all that self stuff. And of course, um, as, as uh, Leanne referred to, just the time and resources, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, who's going to watch the dog and all that? Who's going to watch the kids and all that kind of stuff? Now, the nice part is it works in the opposite direction. 
in that Dawn and I are getting ready to go visit some friends of ours out of state. So one of my polyamorous partners is going to watch my dog. They call them uh, metamors, which I think is <laughs> and, uh, play on the word metamor. Truth. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm going to say the first word when you asked the question, the first thing that popped into my head was exponentially more work right? Mm -hmm. Because I have to do more work on me, more work with mine and Dan's relationship, more work with mine and the boyfriend's relationship. He's married. So I have a relationship with his wife. Dan's other partner is married. So I have a relationship with her and her husband and his other girlfriend. And then Dan and I have a girlfriend that we share, but on different levels. So, you know, it's, it's that whole thing. And so it, it can get very complicated. So it's a lot of different communication styles. It's um, introverts, extroverts, internal processing, external processing, learn how, who does what, how, exponential. So, uh, so we wrote this book <laughs> <laughs> called the Polyamory Toolkit because over the last 20 years, we've had to learn different tools on how to deal with different situations that, that brought up emotions and we had to deal with. So oh, I like the way you worked that plug in there, baby. Didn't I? Yes. <laughs> but I do want to just one little last thing on this. I do want to mention that it, if you, it's like the roller coaster, right? You do get over the hump. And now I will say that, you know, we were asked not too long ago, what's the most difficult part of polyamory for you now? It's not anymore. I'm knocking on wood though. We don't. Yeah, need absolutely. But you get to that point where, You've, you've done all the things you've gone through. And now it's all like, this is just so natural and second nature. You know, if not to say I don't still have jealousy arise, but when jealousy arises, I say, oh, jealousy, I recognize you. I know you. I know you're not a big deal. And I know what to do about you. So sit down, have a beer. Let's watch the football game. We'll deal with you later. And if we can't, we'll come up with another tool and we'll write another book. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost wondering if you have to be a major in communications, psychology, sociology, or any of the other ologies in order to be a successful purveyor of ethical non-monogamy or polyamory. It seems to me that this is not something for and I hate to put it this way, non-intelligent people to get into because I would think that would be tinder for a fire. I mean, I think relationships are difficult generally anyway. Um, and so, you know, uh, what Dawn said about like exponential, like you just, when you deal with multiple people um, in kind of any context, that's definitely going to be harder than just dealing with one person, right? Because you have to kind of um, assess kind of the interplay of those relationships and and that kind of thing. So, uh, I think that, yeah, communication skills definitely help kind of understanding like how different people work, being uh, considerate of other people, just general emotional intelligence, I think is definitely a very useful skill. Um, and I think that there's definitely, um, well, you know, polyamory requires like time and not everyone has the time for multiple partners, right? So then there, there are definitely some barriers to practicing um, ethical non-monogamy, I would say. The other word I would throw out there, not just the intelligence and all that kind of stuff, but I think even maybe even more important than that is courage. Mm. You know, the courage mm. to have those mm. conversations, the courage to have that, to look at yourself. I, as a male-bodied person raised in America, I wasn't taught to have 
tough conversations with my partner, right? I was taught how to duck, dodge, and avoid. Mm-hmm. So that's a skill set that you have to, that, you know, really based on uh, more for me. And that's, you know, like I said, if I could go back in time and talk to early days polyamorous Dan, I would say rule number one, buddy, face it. Whatever it is, face it. Go, go face it. If you're jealous, face that. If you're, you think your wife's being a jerk, face that. If you think so-and-so person's <laughs> attractive, face that. Um, yeah. that. That's for me anyway. So, and then um, for me, the first word that popped into my head is uh, how to be empathetic. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, being mm. empathetic is, is really oh, important, though not everyone has that skill, right? So I've got a boyfriend that is not empathetic, but he knows that and he works on the skills. So, but I, I think being able to see things from other people's viewpoints is is. A, a huge skill that that can be involved. And for Dan and I, when we first got started, I mean, this is before the internet got popular. This is before there was books. This is before there was events. This is, so we had no role models. So we kind of had to stumble along. And the first thing we did was to create a um, communication tool personal to us that works and then work it, like Dan said, confront the things and, and have the talks. And at least nowadays, for communication skills, you've got classes, you've got Google, you've got Facebook classes, you've got um, kink events, poly events, you've got so many events with so many teachers yeah. that really, there, there's, there's someone out there that, that can speak to the skills that you need. Hi, I'm Dr. Allison Ash, trauma-informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy, and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for it in their relationships, and to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your... Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Hi. This is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets Fifty Shades of Grey. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. 
And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. This is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. Back with Leanne of Polyphilia, who joins us from the United Kingdom and from the great Midwest of the United States, Dan and Don, the co-hosts of the Erotic Awakening podcast and also authors on a new book on polyamory that we've been talking a lot about here, at least through promotional consideration, as the old uh, announcer might say, here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. This show is about how people connect. And I am sure that, especially when you talk about monogamy, people connect and saying, trying to get those connections and approach people in the right way. And a lot of people approach people in the wrong way. How do people approach each other in the concept of ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, especially if you are already a couple and you have interest in someone else, how does that work? Because I'm totally naive about this. I highly recommend um, approaching people honestly. So again, I'm gonna segue into our newest book, which is the Polyamory (laughs) Dating Guide. Because we do talk a lot about this because there are a lot of people out there that, oh my God, so I get so, so many fet mails and things like that of one-liners that are really not appropriate for wanting to start a relationship. Um, so approach openly, approach yes. honestly, be who you are, right? Now, there's a big debate. If you want to jump on the internet and debate about at what point you tell somebody you're polyamorous that you've just met, whether you've just met them or you wait till the first date or the second date or something like that. Uh, Personally, it's a personal choice, right? I I go right off the bat. uh, Mine's in my profile. And and the fact that I I do have other significant partners in my life, um, for me, that comes out right at the beginning, you know, because we're not, otherwise it feels slimy, right? Because if Mm. I'm interacting with a mostly monogamous world, then they're going to expect monogamy and they're right to expect monogamy, right? I mean, that's not unusual. So if you are going to um, bring yourself as a something a little bit different uh, for me, I go right off the bat, you know, I'm saying uh, now, now, fortunately, I'm kind of waiting for the big polyamory uh, hit movie to happen (laughs) because for kink people you can start a conversation now and you know you can say have you seen or have you read 50 shades of gray and most of the world apparently according to the numbers i've they've seen it right and they'll have a reaction of some sort if they're like oh i was so disgusted by that you could oh i guess okay or you could say oh they got so many things wrong you say oh oh expert are you now (laughs) (laughs) big polyamory and there's a few little things that we've seen out there. Um, the ones on media so far, the large uh, television shows like Polly and Dating and Sister Wives are not great reflections of what polyamory is actually like. But when when 50 Lovers of Polly comes out, that'll be a great opening line. And it'll give us language. If nothing else, that's what 50 Shades of Grey gave us was language 
that we could use with people. So yeah, regardless of what we think of the movie and the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, with new people, right? Uh, it's, yeah, but the fact that I'm poly is in my profile. First thing, because yeah, I don't want to come across as kind of hiding it because I know that a lot of people would probably swipe left on that, um, which is fair enough if that's not what they're into. And I'm not going to be the one to convince them if that's kind of the choice that they're making, right? So yeah, it's in all of my profiles and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very open about it. And also just, well, I just to be sure that they, just to be sure that they know, I always mention it on the first date. I always talk about my partners. Um, and it's shocking that non people don't read your profile and they go on a date with you. And then I talk about my partners and they're like, wait, what? You have a boyfriend? Like what? It's crazy. Um, as for people who you're already in a relationship with though, um, I would say, you know, like if you're in a kind of established monogamous relationship and you want to explore polyamory and want to bring it up to your partner, um, I would probably suggest kind of um, probably bringing up polyamory kind of philosophically rather than going, oh, I'm polyamorous. I want to try this going like, oh, uh, what do you think about, you know, um, I, I don't know, like, what do you think about polyamory generally? Like, what do you think about non-monogamy? Is this something you'd be open to trying? Uh, and then kind of easing it in um, is probably the advice I would give. Um, and obviously there isn't a lot of media representation at the moment, but, um, you know, you guys have mentioned um there's quite a lot in like the kink world i think in the polyamorous world right now we only have i don't know yumi her right as the kind of triad rom-com um and that has a lot of problems on its own which you know i'll reserve my opinion on but that could also start a conversation i guess i hesitate to go into negative parts but i do want to discuss them a bit hmm. i have because I'm in the kink community, known many uh, polyamorous groups. And there was one in particular that I knew uh, up in Northeast Ohio. And when things started happening with their group, it was like a game of Jenga, except <laughs> with very, very large pieces. And the reason I say that is when it started to fall apart, it made a huge roar through the entire community. How do you prepare or how do you properly be able to keep yourself courageous enough to be able to have a breakup within polyamory or ethical non-monogamy where it doesn't bring everyone down along with it? Well, I think the main thing is communication, right? Because, uh, yeah, that is the one downside of polyamory. With more relationships comes the risk of more breakups. Um, and I'm going to do a little plug here. There's a book called um, The Polyamory Breakup Book by Kathy mm. Labriola, who also is famous for the Jealousy Workbook. Um, I'm actually the audiobook narrator. If you go on Audible, um, I narrated the audiobook version of that book. I love that book. Um, the polyamory breakup book delves into this exact issue basically you know how to uh keep your other relationships kind of you know intact like while you're kind of processing a breakup or are supporting a partner through a breakup right um and yeah i think it's just a lot of talking through like oh what you like for example if your partner's the one going through the breakup talking through like what they need kind of processing your own feelings about it um you know, for example, if you see your partner like being really heartbroken over someone else, it's very easy to get into your head about it and think, oh no, uh, they're feeling so cut up about this other person. If our relationship ended, 
um, you know, would they be as uh, like heartbroken about me and, you know, getting really insecure about that. It's very easy to get into that mindset. But then, yeah, it's all about just like talking through your feelings, um, processing your emotions together, being there for each other. Um, and, you know, if the other person needs space to give them that, give them the time to heal because, you know, people deal with breakups differently. Some people are like, get really hypersocial. Some people just want to crawl into a hole and, you know, be alone for a little bit. And everyone just copes with grief in a different way. Um, and I think it's just the, uh, like the advice that um, go, that applies to um, kind of polyamory breakups is very similar to kind of um, the advice that people give for people experiencing any kind, other kind of loss. Um, so that's what I have to say on the matter. But yeah, The Polyamory Breakup Book by Kathy Labriola is my top recommendation. <laughs> and get it on audio where you can hear Leanne give you the entire text on it. Yeah, exactly. Dan and Don, did you have thoughts? Um, I just know I've seen um, a few breakups down here in Columbus. And um, luckily, what I've seen has been very adult. People have been adult. People have um, asked their friends not to take sides. They still work together on different projects. And they see it as um, just a shift in the relationship. Mm. So it's actually been pretty cool to watch. I'm hoping if if I have to break up, though I have broken up with someone before, but it was gentle too, mostly. It wasn't loud. <laughs> it wasn't dramatic, right? So ah, we, we very much try not to do dramatic. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of neat to watch. So if, if I have to break up with someone, I hope I can do the same thing. Yeah, and I think that in the polyamorous community as well, like it's very likely because the community is so small, you're going to see yeah. them around, right? So then um, I think there's a stereotype that like when you break up with someone, it has to be you know, completely all, uh, you cut all ties, you never see them again. You know, it's like a total kind of destruction. Um, and it's, yeah, the stereotype is very dramatic, but then I don't think that works so well in like the circles that we operate in because, you know, everyone knows each other. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's less of a breakup and more kind of a transition to, um, you know, whatever what kind of works best for you, like at a different time in your life, right, with, with this other person. Um, and yeah, it's good that um, people can be mature about it and, you know, not create, uh, create drama over it. The other difficult thing that I have seen and witnessed is when they, a polyamorous group that includes a husband and a wife where the husband makes the assumption, well, if there are many women in this relationship, I have a right to do what I want to with any one of them. Obviously Ugh. not the right thing, but how do you establish those boundaries to make sure that the relationships stay the way they're supposed to be and somebody's not getting entitled to getting something that is not theirs? See, that's a hard one because I'm trying to um, look in my world and see where that's happened. And I don't know that I have any examples. So, you know, all, I, all I've got is, is to set your boundaries and communicate and, you know, set expectations. I think that um, in my circles, there definitely is kind of the presumption that like, oh, you know, this guy, he has a bisexual girlfriend and she's like seeing someone else. Then the guy's like, oh, I can get in on that, too. <laughs> um, and well, I think that's probably more common in kind of swinging communities, but definitely can happen in the, the polyamorous uh, world as well. Yeah, I think that is just kind of well, you know, you can't 
control how other people act right people you know assholes are going to be assholes right so all you can do is kind of be firm with your boundaries and enforce them where possible you know um i personally wouldn't date someone who acted in such an entitled manner and disrespected other people that i was seeing in that way unfortunately i have never run into that problem personally um you know with the people that i've dated they've all been very respectful of other people and not you know been entitled or made assumptions about um kind of who like who's this sounds odd like bodies they had access mm-hmm. to i suppose <laughs> um a time even time access to um but yeah like i think um it's kind of obviously you know you can you can say as much as you want about like oh these people shouldn't act this way etc etc and you go you can say that about them but if they're not going to change your, their behavior the onus is unfortunately on on you to um to act like whenever someone is behaving in an unacceptable way and to continue to educate people like like mm-hmm. the three of us are doing now right um to go out there and, and and to show people this is a healthy polyamorous relationship model it is what it, you know and it's not a matter of for me, at least, it's not a matter of pointing out where people do it wrong. It's a matter of showing people a healthy way to do it. Mm-hmm. And when you see somebody going on there, um, and I see this quite often on, on a variety of groups, right, where somebody will say, hey, um, I am going to let my wife sleep with other women, but, you know, we're only going to let one penis in this whole place. Instead of jumping on uh. them and, and, you know, saying, oh, one penis policy, you must be a bad person to instead say, you know, that's an interesting perspective that you have there. Why do you think that way? And try and get them to understand that they're they're acting from a place of fear, not from a place of uh, abundance, right? And that if that's what they want to do, and they're steadfast to do it, say, all right, dude, if that's you, that's you, that's fine. But let's not call that polyamory because that, or let's call it a very thin slice of polyamory. And side note, I hope that your the women in your life understand this is not common polyamory. What you're practicing, you're practicing something more along the lines of, oh, selfish. Um, Though we we do know of a group that was like that, and the women were absolutely ab- fine with yes, it. Yes, absolutely. So as long and, as it's consensual. Yeah. Well, yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, you know, adding on to that, right? I think obviously everyone has the right to choose like what they want for themselves, and you know, if what you want lines up with what someone else wants, great, that's great for you. But then I think uh, the line I draw the line at someone else telling someone else um, like what they can and can't do. So with the example you give, it's very very common in relationships where like a guy has a, a girlfriend who is bisexual and is like, okay, well, I'm the only penis you can have. And you can only sleep with women and not other men. And, you know, in polyamorous circles, for those of you who don't know, that's called the one penis policy, like Dan brought up. And um, yeah, like it is from a place of fear and insecurity. It is kind of rooted in the idea that like, um, well, w- women aren't threatening because, you know, like, <laughs> she couldn't possibly steal my girl, you know, because she because she doesn't have a penis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it kind of devalues queer relationships as well, because if you're threatened by men, but not women, what does that what does that say about like how you view like uh, relationships between women um and it's also kind of in a way it's also transphobic as well because what if um your girlfriend meets a woman who also has a penis then what do you do and and it's kind of uh basically i think polyamory tries to um discourage any kind of controlling behavior 
um, kind of uh, the emphasis is on your individuality, what you want for yourself, and then finding other people whose needs like line up with yours. One of the great things about bringing Dan and Don and Leanne together is we very much have two generations of polyamory or ethical non-monogamy coming together. Dan and Don, is there something that you have learned in your latter years that you wish you had known about when you were young that you might be able to share with Leanne? Well, first off, get off my lawn. <laughs> Hold on a sec, I can get right there with you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd be honest with you. I am in a way kind of jealous about the, the, the language that's available, the resources that are available, the openness that's available. I have one partner who has a 16-year-old queer person, child of theirs, right? And now uh, they get to gender qualify however they want. And they talk about polyamory in high school and uh, they don't identify as polyamorous, but they have friends that do. So, and when somebody says polyamory, what's that? Well, let's Google that shit. Oh, let's find some meetups. Let's find, oh, look, here's a blog, blah, 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 blah. YouTube, all that jazz, right? So all that's great. Um, I think that the thing that really comes to my mind as somebody from this older generation is to, to recognize that, to never hear just because somebody says, I am X age, right? And that age is younger than you for you to go, oh, well, when you get to be my age, you'll understand this or that. I, I find that the, the, the intelligence and the opportunity to learn, although there's not life experience so much so, but even life experience happens sooner for people. I mean, um, it's just amazing how quickly we can mature in our romantic relationships, in our personal relationships, relationships with self and stuff nowadays compared to um, my, my experience as when I was uh, a younger age. So, and probably, like I said, I don't know that I have a lot to share with Leanne, but maybe in general with the younger generation, I want to share something that's probably a little defensive, but I want to share it anyway. I just shared it with someone's daughter that she's like, why don't these people just Google? And I'm like, darling, we didn't have Google when I was growing up. We didn't have Google <laughs> when Dan and I got started out in all of this. We didn't have Google when we were looking for events. We found subject matter experts. We found people that lived it and was doing it and we asked questions. So when, when I ask you a question about um, whatever, it's not because I'm too lazy to go to Google. It's because I haven't thought of it. I'm thinking <laughs> the person that knows and ask questions. And so that's, that's me, like I said, being a little older, being a little defensive, you know, I do ask questions of people. And that's probably why Dan and I answer so many questions and talk so much is because that's what we're used to. Instead of just looking it up online, ask the people that live it because it's going to be different than than what you find online, right? So that's just my little thing. <laughs> Leanne, from your perspective, is there something that you have discovered early in your path that you were surprised about that you might want to share with Dan and Don? 
So this is a bit daft, but then I guess I always assumed, like, well, I not always assumed, but I think when I first got into non-monogamy generally, I assumed it was a kind of thing where, like, that young people did, um, and that eventually people would settle down and stuff. And this was a very kind of monogamous programming kind of belief. Um, well, until I attended a kind of a poly conference, um, well, it was a very small conference. It was only about like 100 to 200 people um, in 2019. And then I met um, a lot of older polyamorous people, uh, you know, who had been in established uh, kind of Vs, triads, whatever, for decades that I realized, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is not a contemporary thing. This is, this could be a long-term option for me. And this is something that, um, you know, I can, I can choose and actively practice for the rest of my life. And that kind of, um, uh, that feeling was great. That kind of validation to like look up to people who were older than me and had been doing this for years and years and years. Like the proof that this love was um, was valid and, you know, not fleeting. Um, I think that really meant a lot to me at the time. Very cool. Nice. Because I am naive about this, is there anything that I've missed that people should know? And obviously, I think Dan and Dog would say, we have some great books that yeah. will give you anything that <laughs> you might have missed. But is there any one topic that we haven't brought up on the show that's important for people to know? I think that we've talked a lot about the benefits of polyamory and things on the show. But then um, I think that, um, you know, Monogamy is equally valid. If that is something that works for you, like, you know, I support polyamory, I support monogamy, as long as you are practicing something that works for you. I think there's a little bit of a um, holier than thou attitude that I see in some, some polyamorous circles sometimes. Some people are like, oh, you know, this is so evolved, so enlightened, you know, these were, uh, you're like, better than you. Um, and it's absolutely not the case. I think it's just a different relationship style things, you know, not everyone can be monogamous, just like not everyone can be polyamorous. And I think everyone has the right to choose what works for them. And it's not that one is inherently better than the other. So yeah, like, um, it's you're not close-minded for wanting monogamy. You're not inherently better than someone else for wanting polyamory. I think that's one important note that I w would like to add personally. You know, and that's exactly what I wrote down when, when the question was asked was um, enlightened that some poly people believe that they are enlightened, evolved or whatever. And that's, that's like you said, Leanne, that is just not always the case. Some people are wired monogamous. Some people choose to live monogamous because they don't want all the exponential work that's involved with so many relationships <laughs> or finding new people or dating or, you know, so, sometimes it's, it's nice just to have your place and settle in it. And that's what you concentrate on. Um, so I totally agree with that. Some of us are wired poly though. Some of us choose to live poly and it's just, yeah, one is not better than the other. Totally agree. The only question I would have asked is how can we as polyamorous people communicate better amongst ourselves, right? Because mm. you've heard a couple times in here, you know, where we've talked, we've brought in some terminology and people are, you know, how we perceive this and how we perceive that. And the reality is polyamory has been around for a while, but now it is really moving and growing and changing. I'm on a uh, polyamory subreddit where every, oh, I don't know, every three weeks, somebody says, look, I made a polyamory flag. 
And, <laughs> well, there's 50 of these fuckers out here already. Um, <laughs> so great, vote on that one. But the reality is things are changing so quickly. Don't get stuck on language. Don't get stuck mm-hmm. on words. It was about two years ago that somebody decided that the very word polyamory or polyamorous was offensive to people of a Polynesian. Yeah. Or the, wait, the no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The short term poly. Yeah was offensive to Polynesian people, right? So people would say, well, I'm Poly, and and people would respond, oh, you really can't use that language, man. You're being offensive, you know? And now Polyam, P-O-L-Y-A-M is a word. And that wasn't a word two years ago. So don't get attached and things are gonna change and continue to change and new terminology is coming up. And uh, this idea of, kitchen table polyamory oh good we've invited we've created a new thing don't get stuck on that stuff man get past your your commitment and your attention and your your connection to the language itself and be able to communicate with each other beyond that you know give people that chance to trust me i have a a a queer partner and it took them months of correcting me to get me to use they them pronouns with them consistently and they were very patient with me but sometimes they look at just get it fucking right and i'd be like i'm sorry for 50 years my options are he and she this is new to me right so give me a chance let me breathe a little and catch up and help educate me instead of chastise me um because you weren't trying to offend you were trying to learn something new yep and and so that that's what i would say uh uh Kitty Chambliss, who is one of the uh, voices of polyamory that I really respect, um, I, just offhandedly, she said to us the other day that most of the issues with the polyamorous community is simply a lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that, that's, it's that simple, isn't it? So that would be what I would have brought up. I think lack of empathy can come up in so many things, especially mm-hmm. as we move to 2021. Leanne? Before the show, you told me just how wonderfully your Instagram and your followers have just skyrocketed lately. Here's some time to brag. Tell us about your projects and tell us about how we can connect with you. Okay, uh, so I run a blog on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and WordPress called Polyphilia, P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A. And you can find me on Facebook at that address and also at Polyphilia blog on Instagram and Twitter and WordPress. Um, and so I, it's basically a blog dedicated to polyamory, ethical non-monogamy and personal growth in open relationships. I write long form articles. I, I share like original memes every day. Um, those do really well actually. <laughs> um, and um, I started this blog two months ago but uh, I've just reached 5,000 followers on Facebook. So it's doing really well. Um, so yeah, follow me there. And also if you'd like to check out my other work, um, I also narrate audiobooks about polyamory. I've just finished um, uh, and just released, actually, uh, The Jealousy Workbook by Kathy Labriola. And you can find that on Audible under Leanne Yao. Or you could just search Kathy Labriola and you can find my name attached to that as well. Dan and Don? Uh, we don't have we, 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 we <laughs> may have about a half hour to go through all your projects, but uh, tell us how we can find you all. It's all under erotic awakening. And as Don put out there, you know, we don't, we are not authors by living. We're not polyamorous people by living. It is a hobby for us. It is a passion. 
So we, we do appreciate that. The reason that we have a book called the Polyamory Toolkit is because we created some tools that were valuable to us, and we hope they'll be valuable for other people. The Polyamory Dating Guide is about helping you find other people to connect with. Um, and then we do a podcast. We do a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, the podcast has been getting ready to hit 12 years, yep. I think. So we're like episode 580, maybe. Wow. You know the numbers more than me. So, <laughs> yes. so we've been doing it for a very long time. We've got some power exchange books. We've got some Zoom classes. We've got the Kickstarter cards. We've got a whole gamut of things that we've done over the last 20 years. And Dan and Donna, I want to thank you for being one of the inspirations in starting this particular podcast, because even though I've been a broadcaster my entire life, getting to hear how people share their stories on Erotic Awakening has really helped me want to become a better podcaster myself. So I want to thank you all for the inspiration. Oh, that's sweet. And it's true. <laughs> Leanne, Dan and Don, it has been a pleasure having you all on this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So honored to be here. Dan and Don have been such amazing people to me and helping me understand my growth in the scene. And Leanne is a bright new voice in the media with great content every day on her formats. So happy not only to have talked to them on the show, but brought them together for a great discussion. Next week, we head north of the border to visit the amazing Pro Dom and one of the faces of the Montreal Fetish Weekend, the lovely Mistress Diamond Blue, who shares a personal journey in the scene and a life that will inspire you. If you want to hear shows weeks before they come out, here's our obligatory Patreon promo. Support the show at patreon.com slash whatwomenwantpodcast. You can hear shows weeks before they air as well as be a part of future live shows as a guest or participant. That's it. That's the promo. If you have a chance, you can join us by leaving us a rating or a comment where you listen to the show. And if you want to reach me, you can always reach me at john at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. I am John, also known as Hi There Catsuit to my kinky friends, thanking you for being with us. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.